0: just
3: being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And
0: today we have an episode for you about barley wine.
1: Yes, which I did not know much about. Yeah. And also... I kept misspelling it barely wine, <laughs> which I guess is
0: kind of close to accurate. I guess depending on your definition of barely. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe. I will take it. Um, <laughs> as always with these episodes, drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very determined to try some of what feels like kind of an overwhelming and wide category.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's a style that I really love. Um, I, I I gravitate, no pun intended, uh, towards uh, heavier alcohol content beers. Like if I'm, we're, we're very lucky here in Atlanta to have a number of uh, of beer focused pubs that have just amazing, amazing beer lists from um, from all around the world. And if I'm not paying attention to the ABV, the the alcohol by volume, and I'm just reading the uh, flavor notes on yeah. a beer. I will almost without fail pick something that's like a heck and eleven percent ABV, and mm-hmm. then go like, oh, Lauren, like you're very small <laughs> and you're not trying to be drank. Like, could you, <laughs> could you calm down mm-hmm. on that? But they always sound so good. I'm like, oh yeah, like 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 biscuity and heady and fruity and all of these big words. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean. I feel like in a, the several past episodes, we've been talking about sort of this homey, comforting nature yeah. of ingredients that sound kind of simple, but are just so warming. Yeah. And I feel like the the kind of flavor descriptors you just described would fit into that of like this just kind of soul boosting almost uh, fortifying yeah, yeah. Drink.
0: and that's that's why i wanted to do this this episode um because i was right i, I was just trying to think about like like good kind of warming wintry sort of
1: drinks and this one this one came to mind well it is certainly an interesting one um and you can see our past episodes that we've done We've done several episodes now on beer, types of beer. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can check those out. Uh, Also, I guess, wine and many other things. You know, I'm not going to limit you into what you can (laughs) check out of our past (laughs) repertoire. You know, just
0: go ahead and start at the first episode and, you know, catch up. Let us know when you (laughs) get here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sparkly wine. Let us know when you get here. Give us a note and please, you know, forgive oh especially my early oh no both of us (laughs)
0: both of us no I maybe don't start at the first one maybe start (laughs) no you gotta do it it's like the show where they're like it's good in
1: the second season you've gotta (laughs) gotta move on it's a part of the experience (laughs) oh oh I see
0: I see we we do probably have like like running jokes or references that we've been doing since the early days so who knows who knows
1: I think so. I think we I think we said Mystery's history in the very first. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Heck. Heck indeed, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever you arrive to this episode, mm-hmm. listener, fair mm-hmm. listener, um, this brings us to our question. Yes. Barley wine. What is it? Well, uh,
0: barley wine is not wine. Uh, it's a type of strong ale or old ale, depending on your definition. Uh, it's a beer that's brewed from barley and, uh, maybe other grains to somewhere near the strength of a wine. But let's unpack that a little bit. Okay. So the, um, the ABV, the alcohol by volume of your average wine is around 12%. Um, the average for beer is more like 5%. Um, Barley wines hit between 8 and, like, 15%. Whew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and let's go into a little bit of beer basics. Uh, very, very basically, to make beer, you boil malted grains and water to produce a sugary liquid called wort. And then you add yeast to ferment that wort. Um, The yeasts will eat some of the sugars from the grains and excrete alcohol and carbon dioxide, which provides the bubbles and other compounds that flavor the brew. Yeast Mm -hmm. poo. And in general, the more sugars that are in your wort, the more alcohol you'll wind up with in your finished beer, if you have the yeasts uh, uh, working at full tilt. And You can bottle and drink your beer pretty soon after fermentation or you can age it in order to develop more other flavors from um, either from from being in contact with a wood barrel during aging or from all of the like post primary fermentation processes that can happen when you age or condition a beer. Um, uh, Oxidation, uh, impact from secondary yeasts or bacteria, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Meanwhile, other flavors in your beer are going to be imparted through what types of grains you use and, and how they're treated before you use them. And you can see our, our stout slash porter episode for a bunch more on this. But uh, but basically, you, you can develop all kinds of interesting colors and flavors in your beer by first developing those colors and flavors in your grain by toasting or kilning it um, anywhere from like real gentle and pale to very roasty and dark. Um, And that's during the malting process in which you prepare the grain to be used for brewing. Also impacting the flavor of your beer is the yeast that you use. And ales, like barley wine, are fermented using strains of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, uh, which is like the baseline hearty, high alcohol tolerant warm fermentation process yeast. It's the same stuff that most people use for bread. It's been around for ages and ages and ages. Um and that is opposed to um to slower, lower temperature lager yeasts, but that is a whole other episode. Not going into it now. Nope. Nope, we're not talking about lagers. Just forget I said the word lager. Yes, please. <laughs> please, please. Um also also impacting the flavor is going to be hops, Um, whether you're usually going to use hops, but but whether and how much hops you add and at what stage in the process you add them. Adding hops during the boiling stage of, of, of the wort will give you more bitterness. Um, Adding them after, called dry hopping, will give you more other flavors than just bitterness. Um, And and hops are flowers, so they can be uh, floral and fruity and citrusy, and they help balance the kind of sweet toastiness of of malts, all right? Um, Now, in the case of barley wine, what you're doing is using a whole bunch of relatively pale malted barley, and you're boiling it for a long time in order to create a wort with not just a lot of sugar, but also a lot of flavor. The preferred primary malt is what's known as English pale, which is kilned a little bit darker and more like biscuity than American pale malts to start with. Um, But that long boil time will cook that malt further, adding flavors from both caramelization and the Maillard reaction. Then once you've got that that powerful wort, you're using a lot of hardy yeast that will keep thriving even as the alcohol content ticks up. Uh, You're probably fermenting the beer for longer than the average time, and you're probably dry hopping it and then probably aging it for a while. And so all of this creates, yeah, this big beer, um, rich and sweet and malty and kind of like chewy um, with flavors of dark fruits and marmalade and toffee and toast, um, colors from warm copper to ruby to kind of earthy brown. It's going to be warm with alcohol and uh, and balanced with a hint of bitterness and, and a finish that's often moderately dry instead of sweet, like it's not like sticky. But um, but but often a little bit dry and it, it can be described as like sherry like, although I think that sherry is an alcohol that a lot of humans uh, these days aren't familiar with or only becoming familiar with again. Um, but that's that's what it's often described as. American <laughs> varieties do tend to be hoppier than English varieties. But I think that that's sort of a general statement about American beers at this current juncture. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Golly. I've got so much exploring to do, but (laughs) I guess speaking of, what about the nutrition? Drink responsibly. Yes, drink some water. Always drink some water. Always drink
0: some water. Eat a food. Heck, it's so good to do both of
1: those things. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, we do have a solitary number for you.
0: <laughs> oh, I tried, y'all. I was really I and I kept like all of my common search terms for coming up with 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 numbers um, in terms of like sales and popularity and all of that stuff came up with nothing. Like people were just like, here are some varieties of barley wine that you might want to try. And I was like, you're not wrong, but this is not what <laughs> I'm looking for. Um uh so yes uh my singular number for you is that uh, beeradvocate.com which is a great a great website lists 915 examples of the barley wine style. Dang. About about half and half from America and uh, and England.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's like overtime like like breweries sure. that have created even like a one-off Of this kind of right, yeah, right, right, right,
1: yeah, and and I think um, we've spoken about this in past episodes, in past episodes on beer, but people are trying to recreate these ancient recipes, um, which will often result in a sort of one-off situation. But there's a really There's a couple of few interesting examples of that happening for barley wine.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it is is a more traditional type of brew. Um, And we are going to get into that history. Uh, But first, we're going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsors.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. For
3: being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto
0: Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you?
1: Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip
0: yeah. together. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So yes, beer is old. Oh yeah, it's old. <laughs> um, and this beer in specific was difficult to track down, difficult to trace, just because it has gone by a lot of a lot of names throughout time. But going back to what I was saying about people trying to recreate these um, ancient recipes. According to Dr. Patrick McGovern, the so-called beer archaeologist, and I mean so-called, and like I totally believe you are—that wasn't condescending, please. <laughs> um, um, uh-huh. The oldest known barley beer dates back to 3,400 BCE, Iran. Again, this is sort of complicated because of the definitions people use. Sure. Um, um, the right, right, um, but but right. Uh, so so
0: barley has been used in beer. Right. For quite a while.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's sort of what tripped me up is because I couldn't tell for sure if we were just saying barley was used in this beverage or if it was the style um, that we think of when we think of barley wine today. But still, interesting fact nonetheless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. English barley wine as a distinct style is fairly new. The first style description that we know of appeared in 1903 when Bass Brewing added the descriptor onto their number one Burden Ale as a marketing ploy in hopes of boosting sales. Huh. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) However, the descriptor itself, outside of the specific style, had probably been in use long before that, perhaps in cases where cultures transformed the taste of beer into something wine-like. Cultures as in, like, bacteria and stuff, not, you know. I guess both could
0: apply. (laughs) Human cultures and bacterial and yeast (laughs) cultures, both.
1: All three. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Huh. But that that also adds to the the complication that that was sort of that descriptor was used for a lot of different things that we wouldn't count as barley wine today. Yeah,
0: the modern definition sort of came about in like 1903.
1: Yes. However, brewers Bass, Ratcliffe, and Gretton Limited released a single brew barley wine that was pale in color in 1854, which they called Bass Number no. 1 at that time. They trademarked it under Red Diamond in 1876, only the second trademark registered in Britain. Huh. Um, I didn't get to dig into that too deeply, so I can't like 100% vouch for the veracity of it. But I like the idea, and it was mentioned in several sources. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, It was pretty much in continuous production up until 1995 and is still sometimes brewed for beer festivals. Um, And then, stepping back even further, as far back as 300 to 400 BCE, Xenophon's work Anabasis described a beer he encountered on his travels as barley wine. In the 1400s, with the increasing popularity of hops in Europe, stronger ale styles were often labeled as a wine wine also confusing. Um, At this time, without refrigeration, brewing was largely dictated by seasons and mostly done from October to March. And aging was kind of out of the question.
0: Yeah. Or or I mean, like you could age beers, but they had to be very high in alcohol content, um, which especially uh, at the time also meant that they were very sweet. And that alcohol and that sugar might help prevent spoilage. But but yeah, you were going to be dealing with a
1: pretty sticky beer on the finished end. Mm-hmm. Um, and the preservative qualities of hops helped change that. And the practice of storing and keeping beers for drinking during summer and winter or all year round really became more common. The English especially really leaned into these strong end-of-season beers from the late 1500s to the early 1700s or you know that's what records Thereabouts. Would indicate. Yeah, yeah. It's possible this was partly England's response to wine, um, since they so often got into conflicts with wine-producing countries, uh, to the point it was seen as more patriotic for the English to drink ale as opposed to wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the London and Country Brewers mentioned strong ales that were vinous in nature in 1736. These beers also would have been more
0: expensive than lower alcohol beers because they required more grain and more time and care. Um, so it was a, sort of a, sort of a prestige drink. Yeah. Uh. This was also an era when a system of brewing called oh I, I'm not sure how to pronounce this a uh, party guile I think uh, was in wide use. Uh, and and in this uh, system, brewers would drain the, the the finished wort off of a grain mash. And then um, use a fresh batch of water to, to, to cook on top of that same grain mash a second time, creating a second, weaker run of wort. And, and these runs could either be used separately or blended. Um, this is now relatively uncommon, but still in practice in some places, for example, in a London's Fuller brewery,
1: brew, brew, brewery brewery. Yes, that word. Brewery. Yeah, (laughs) we got this. (laughs) No barley wine to be had between us. (laughs) In these early days, barley wine typically denoted something aged and above 8% alcohol. But to add to the vague definition confusion, several words were used to mean the same thing, like strong, old, double, 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 double-double, stale, and stock. Yeah, so stale
0: ale or strong ale, all of Mm -hmm. these words were kind of being used to describe similar things. Um, uh, Originally, I have read double and double-double were descriptors indicating that that, that not this party guile system had been used, but rather that the first run of wort drained off of the grain mash would be poured back over it once uh, for double or even twice for double-double to make it stronger. In England, I'm pretty sure, anyway. I think that over in Belgium, where strong ales were also being brewed, um, uh, I've seen it theorized at any rate that party guile was at hand to create doubles, meaning the first run, and singles, meaning the the, the second run with about half the sugar content. But I think mystery's history is... (laughs) is what we're running into here. Uh, this mm-hmm. was also around about when the use of X's on barrel labels emerged to indicate the strength, like the more X's, the stronger the beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always just assumed that that was because cartoons didn't want to put, like, like
1: beer on the side of a barrel. Me but, too. But no, that was, that was a thing. X's on barrels, yeah. Wow. So we know mouse, <laughs> mice don't actually like cheese, but X's on barrels... It's a real, real thing. thing. Uh-huh. We're doing some side a side gig of myth busting cartoon <laughs> stuff here. <laughs> we are. We are. I like it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, oh, I mean, throw in the Popeye thing with spinach. We are we are on fire here. We are. Yes. Okay, well, back to barley wine. Yes. Brewers in a town in England called Burton-upon-Trent started exporting a strong, dark, sweet, dry-hopped cast ale called Burton Ale to the Baltic regions in the mid-1700s. When Russia put a high tariff on beer imports in 1822, this trade came to a halt. Burton brewers started exporting to other countries like India instead, and as part of that, started making a beer that was lighter and more bitter, which in turn led to a decline in the popularity of these darker barley wine-type ales. However, it didn't fade completely and was sometimes prescribed or used as a believed cold cure. Hmm. Um, And on three different Arctic expeditions, it was used to combat scurvy, or at least three that we know of. Who knows? Okay. Okay. Um, One of these was Sir Edward Belcher's 1852 expedition to locate the lost expedition of Sir John Franklin. The barley wine-like beer on this journey was called Arctic Ale. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that today. I could see a beer being called that today. And with the craft beer renaissance of recent decades, more and more brewers are trying their hand at a barley wine. And even, yes, these very historically accurate ones. Many sources I read pointed to the 1970s as the beginning of experimentation with barley wine, in the United States,
0: uh, yeah, this was in part due to uh, deregulation of brewing that began around that time, allowing for small breweries to start up and higher-alcohol beers to be brewed and sold. Uh, Anchor Brewing Company released what may have been the first American barley wine in 1975, called Old Foghorn.
1: <laughs> Old Foghorn, I like that. Yeah, like that name, mm-hmm. right. In 2006, several previously undiscovered beers were found at Worthington White Shield Brewery, including a version of that Bass Brewing number 1 called Radcliffe Ale that was brewed for a special occasion in 1869. Whoa. Yes. It was named the oldest drinkable beer to date. (sighs) Wow. So they drank it. Yeah. That's wonderful. (laughs) That is delightful. I'll never forget. When we were talking to our friend the sabreur, oh, I mean that's a throwback to our early episodes. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. And he said he had access to some of the champagne that was discovered in the wreckage of the Titanic. Right. But he was waiting to develop his palate more to appreciate it.
0: And yeah, I remember he'd...
1: looking at him and thinking, if you have to develop your <laughs> right. palate. Right. <more." laughs> <laughs> <Ooh. laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would I I should probably just not try to drink that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a wise decision. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But it was definitely a learning moment for me. And I feel like the same with this beer. Like maybe give me a sip, but don't give me I can't appreciate the full.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I think I think with any kind of and, and I did it was so it was so funny to me because this is to me, like such a favorite and delicious, and in a lot of ways approachable beer because it's so interesting. I don't know, like maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but but I, a lot of the things that I was reading was like this is a challenging beer, like it's gonna really hit your palate in weird ways. Like not mm-hmm. a lot of people are super fond of it, and I was like, what, really? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you're. Uh, if, if, you, if you're interested in trying, um, I mean, anything, honestly, like I would I would always recommend getting like a small portion of it, you know, not like overwhelming yourself with in the case of beer, like a like a full eight ounce pour or something like that. But just, you know, like a little a little bit like a, like enough to have like a like a few sips or a few bites mm-hmm. and kind of just like deal with the first reaction and then your continuing reaction to it over another few tries.
1: Yeah. I think that's good advice. That's good advice, Lauren, cuz sometimes you just I think that anticipation level of how you think something should taste versus how it does can really mess with your perception of whether or not you like it.
0: Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. um and right, so it's kind of similar to how like a like a perfume develops on your skin. Like you're mm-hmm. you're going to get different notes hitting you the 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 first time that you taste something versus like another couple bites in or sips in.
1: Yes. Yes, for sure. Well, on that note, I think that's what we have to say about barley wine for now. It is. We do have some listener
0: mail for you, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsors.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Visit pronamel.com. Me
3: Focus Features presents back to black.
1: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
3: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know like this. I ain't no spy girl.
3: Like never before. That's
2: my daughter. That's my Amy.
3: On the big screen.
2: I wanna be remembered.
3: To just be a me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've
0: talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you?
1: Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip
0: yeah. together. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener. Barrel, oh. oh, 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 oh.
0: <laughs> like in a pub yeah. drinking song. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting very Gaston vibes from that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There was some moving of the false tankard. <laughs> tankered. Tankard. Yeah. 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 I was thinking of, you know, the green dragon, Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Nathan wrote, I hope you and your families had a wonderful holiday and New Year's. Thank you. Have either of you tried American ginseng? It's in the same genus as Chinese ginseng, but American ginseng is native to North America. The tea tastes like black pepper. We all have weird cravings. (laughs) And goes well with some lemon juice. The mildly psychoactive and completely legal herb is quite relaxing, and I highly recommend it as a healthy beverage to unwind after a day at work. The effects are no more intense than a cup of coffee or green tea, but are fairly different. As with all herbs, I recommend reading up on it before trying to ensure no conflicts with medication. Always great advice. Yes, yes. Yes, fitting with our saber slogan. Uh-huh. I have not tried this to my knowledge, uh, but I am very, very, very interested in learning more, um, both research-wise and trying it-wise.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I know that I've had ginseng in other tea blends, but I don't mm-hmm. think I've experimented with it just on its own. Um and it sounds lovely. It does. It does.
1: I would love. I've I've enjoyed hearing all these sort of hot toddy recipes from people and these relaxing drinks of love scents. Um, so I'm I definitely want to try it and we'll add it to our huge but newly organized (laughs) list of suggestions. (laughs) Always, uh,
0: always making an effort on the organization. It, you know, mm-hmm. that was my, like, spring cleaning for the year. I was like, <laughs> I shall tame this list of ideas a little, a tiny the bit. spreadsheet. <laughs> we must tame the spreadsheet. Goodness. It, it was getting out of hand, y'all. It really was. Um, mm-hmm. At any rate, Alex wrote, I wanted to write in with a fun fact you may have missed on your recent Tupperware episode. Earl Tupper attended Bryant College, now university, which at the time was located in Providence, Rhode Island. In 1967, Tupper donated a large piece of land in nearby Smithfield to the college, which relocated there. I hope I just said that correctly. Um, uh, As a thank you, the college named the campus and later the mascot after him. While the Bryant Bulldogs aren't an original name, uh, one of 15 collegiate Bulldogs, Tupper the Bulldog certainly is unique. In 2010, while I was attending school there, Bryant got its first real bulldog, Ironclad Tupper. (laughs) I also wanted to say that on a long road trip last year, my wife and I actually tried to make our version of the often-discussed saver podcast bingo. The miles flew by as we ticked through our favorite squares, such as aphrodisiac, something being nutritionally A treat, uh conflicting origin stories slash histories mysteries, bacteria poop, and of course the free square. What is it?
1: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's so great. I'm glad it helped you pass the hours, hopefully with some fun times. (laughs) Oh goodness. And I had not heard this about the Tupper Ironclad Tupper <laughs> mascot. That is delightful. That is yes. I. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. <laughs> yes, you know we love a good mascot over here.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, a good mascot. Uh, I love. I love a good animal. I am currently podcasting with a cat in my lap. Um, so that's mm-hmm. a surprisingly chill cat. He's usually not this chill. <laughs> We're recording a bit earlier. He's probably a bit confused. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's like, you're you're usually not okay. All right. Well, it's still nap time
1: for me though. <laughs> you know, cat nap time. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Pronamel is the
1: number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it.
0: When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five star experiences to local favorites.
1: No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
3: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust